Hey, welcome to the 49th episode of Two Writers Slinging Yang. My name is Jeff Perlman. I'm a former Sports Illustrated senior writer, a former ESPN columnist, author of multiple New York Times bestsellers, and a columnist for The Athletic. The music you're listening to is Croissant's Master by the great MC White Owl. And this podcast is an ode to writing in all its forms, from journalism to songwriting to screenwriting to novels to romance to comics to whatever genres I'm thinking of. And today, my guest is Tommy Shaw, the longtime singer-songwriter who you best know from his work with Sticks. And Tommy has a very real, very unique ability to cobble together songs, from Fooling Yourself and Crystal Ball to Renegade and Too Much Time on My Hands. The guy can flat out bring it, and he's been doing it forever. So today, we're going to dig into songwriting, into writing with other people, into singing your song for the 200,000th time and still finding meaning in it. So don't arigato, let's get going right now on Two Writers Slinging Yang. All right, well, Tommy, first of all, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. Um, I really appreciate it. And, and I got to say, it's um, I generally have sports writers on the show because I am a sports writer. And I feel like real quickly, I need to explain uh, how I know you. And, and you may not even remember this story, but in the, in the early 90s, I was a really bad music writer for the Tennessean in Nashville, and I knew nothing about anything. And I uh, I received a, a copy of a CD you uh, you did with Jack Blades called Hallucination, and I loved it, just loved it. And I wrote a really positive review. And then I think you guys, or maybe Stick, someone was coming to town, and somehow I ended up doing an interview with you over over like AOL Messenger, and it felt like yeah. high technology. And now here yeah. we are years later, uh, you know, recording a something called a podcast over an app. So uh, times are funny. Times are funny. But thank I you so enjoy. much for doing this. I always enjoyed your, your reviews, especially the, yeah. the good, <laughs> good reviews. But no, I, yeah. I, 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 I enjoyed those days. Yeah. Um, so I want to, you know, I, I, I love talking about writing and I love talking about songwriting specifically. And um, I'm going to start with a really obscure song from your sort of collection. And um, I don't know, maybe really obscure is too strong, but uh, back in 1996, um, Sticks, your your longtime drummer, uh, John Panazzo, died. And you wrote a song called Dear John. Um, that I don't think got a ton of radio airplay, but it was a really beautiful song, sort of a tribute to John, who obviously played with and knew for years and years. I swear I saw Um, and I thought, I thought when, when I was reading the lyrics and when I was listening to that song earlier, it has to be really tricky and really hard, um, to put emotions like that into words. Uh, and I was wondering how one does it or how one goes about it. I think the best songs are the ones where you don't overthink them. You just start writing and see what happens. And that's what happened with Dear John. I, I came up with a little, that little guitar line and it, and I, I capo it up. Uh, you know what that means? I don't. A little clamp that goes on the guitar that you put across the, uh, whatever fret you want to go up to. And then it's, it's like starting your neck right there. So it's like, it'll like tune your guitar up, uh, and you can play chords differently up there. Uh, 
And so I, it, it, a lot of times, just doing something like that, the, the guitar will spit out a song. And that's kind of what happened. I, I put the capo up and I started playing that little riff. And it was in a nice register for my voice. And uh, I just started writing a letter to John Bonazzo. Is it hard to do that? Like, is it hard to actually put emotions out there and sort of have them lingering there and know that people are going to hear it? I mean, it seems like feelings generally in, a, in society, we're, we're taught to sort of bottle up our feelings and not show too much. Is it a weird thing to sort of do the exact opposite and put them all out there? I've always tended to do that first and think later. Uh, <laughs> and that's what happened with Dear John. I, I wrote it and I made this demo. And uh, then it was like, okay, now what am I going to do? Right. You know, I, if I play this for the guys in the band, it's going to be it's going to be very hard for them to listen to because it was, all our emotions were very raw. Uh, but I went over to rehearsal for so we were working on an album, and I was like, "Well, guys, I, I don't know what to tell you, but I, I, I need you to listen to this." And so I, did, I had a Walkman with headphones, and one by one. I gave the guys the headphones and I just watched them kind of crumble, uh, listening to it. You know, it was very personal. Do, do you generally, are you generally writing the music first and then the lyrics? Do you have a, an order to your sort of writing approach? No, there's no order. You, you just, whatever, whatever you can get that'll get a, like a foothold, uh, for a song, do, do that. And then work around it. Use whatever whatever you have as your basis for going forward. And that, at least that, that's what I do. Uh, and you know, once once you start doing it, and I'm, I, I say this because I'm saying it to myself as a rule: don't overthink it. You know, don't get too analytical. Just let it flow. Because you can always erase. You, you can mark it out. You don't have to use it. But maybe that will lead you to the next thing. So don't don't critique yourself going in. Just be, you know, uh, give yourself permission to write a horrible song or a terrible, stupid lyric. And sometimes that will just get the the inertia going. Interesting. Are there are there times you've written songs and you're like, this song, this sucks. This is garbage, and people just love it, and that. You know, like I've written articles where I think this is the worst article I've ever written. And then people are like, oh, I loved your article. And I think, oh, maybe it's not as bad as I think. Does that sort of happen with you as well? More often than not. Yeah. And most of the times uh, I am like, is this is this dumb or is this what is this this too much this or too much that? And I'll, a lot of times I'll wait a long time before I play something for somebody. In fact, the uh, that. Uh, the, the beginning of the most recent Sticks album started with this song called Mission to Mars that I wrote, and it just came out of the blue. And, you know, it was, if, if you've heard the album, it's the last song on the album. And, uh, it, it's just a very odd song, you know, uh, uh it's kind of like a limerick style. You know, like the, you know, it's right. odd.
and uh, and it was about a mission to Mars. It just came out of came out of my ink pen. As I, I had written the music, and it uh, and it was okay. Well, let's put some vocals on it. Got to write some words. And I was listening to the music, and it had this vibe of like, <laughs> you know. So I wrote, put pen to paper. Now I can say this is the day we'll be on our way on our mission to Mars. And I looked at it, and it was like, where did that come from? Um, but I just went with it. Okay, all right. So I'll just go. I'll go down that road and just write a bunch of things that have to do with now's the day that we're going on the mission to Mars. And uh, when it was done, and I wrote a little middle section, when it, when it was done, uh, I just sat back and listened to it. And I was like, what am I going to do with this? Uh, and I didn't want to play it for anybody uh, because I, I kind of liked it, but I've, I've liked other songs and I could play it for my wife and she's like, yeah. <laughs> so I didn't want to, I didn't want, you know, when you do that, it's just like, it's just, crushes your song you know i don't want i don't want anybody to hear so but i i sent this to my friend will ivankovich because i knew he wouldn't laugh at me and uh so he wrote me right back and said that's really cool check this song out and he had a song that was equally as odd for him and it wound up being another song that wound up on the record called locomotive mm-hmm. and very another unusual kind of song so I guess is the the point is is when you're a songwriter, be careful who you play your stuff for, because right. somebody can, you know, give you a funny look, and that might discourage you from going forward with it. Is it theoretically possible that maybe earlier that day or the day before you were in a CVS or something, and David Bowie's Space Oddity is playing, and that puts it in your head? You know, like, is it? Are you getting random ideas for random songs from all sort of places that you may not even think of? Uh, maybe sometimes, but it's probably more, uh, situational things, you know, uh, where there's, maybe I'd see something on TV about, uh, I've always been a little bit of a space buff and I read somewhere about, you know, the actual missions to Mars being planned and, and thought out and scheduled. And I just thought that was, you know, there, what came up to me pretty quickly was, uh, yeah, this is all great and everything, talking about it and doing all the research and developing the software and the hardware and all that stuff. But on that day, actual people are going to have to suit up and go, all right, here we go. And they climb up, you know, they take the, the elevator up to the top of the rocket and they get in there in their spacesuits and strap themselves into this thing. And then they're going to light that rocket and off they go. That's high drama right there. Right. Right. And all, all those people have a story. So that was what wound up being the, that, that was the catalyst for, yes, we can do an album about this. I would say, uh, I would say on my list of all time favorite songs, uh, not just stick songs or Tommy Shaw songs, but song songs is, um, Fooling Yourself, uh, The Angry Young Man, which, uh, uh dates back 1977, Grand Illusion album. It's funny when I was doing some just some quick research on it. 
And, you know, there are two, two sort of things. Number one, Wikipedia, which says the song was written by you, is based on your perception of then Sticks, you know, singer and keyboardist Dennis DeYoung, who was an angry young man who viewed the group's successes with a wary eye and grew angry or depressed with every setback. In later years, Shaw began to see himself in the lyrics. And then, stuff I love about the internet, there was this whole chat room from long, long ago uh, speculating that you've got it all in the palm of your hand, but your hand's wet with sweat and your head head needs a rest is about masturbation. So <laughs> I ask you, what is the origin and genesis of fooling yourself? Well, you know, you, you, you write what you know, and you can observe other people, but you, you, you only write from your own perspective. So it's, uh, it, it's been one of those songs over the years I've, I've kind of gone around in circles analyzing who was it about because uh, a lot of times when I'm singing it, I, I feel like I'm singing it about myself. I, it was something that I did notice when I joined the band. You know, I was it was all pretty new to me, and these guys had been around for they had uh, released and recorded five albums before I came along, so they they paid a lot of dues and. Uh, you know, had an opportunity to become cynical if they if 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 that's the way it, they felt about certain things, and so uh, I, I was kind of naive to a lot of that, and I didn't understand how anybody could be anything less than overjoyed about uh, playing to these sold out shows and that sort of thing, and so that was that was my perspective while I was writing it, uh, but. Uh, there was another time, uh, probably in '78, where there was one of the there was there was a, a shooting in a school. Uh, a guy brought a gun to school and took uh, a couple of piece of people hostage, and uh, was on the radio talking. And he, this is kind of bizarre, but uh, he was phoning in requests, and uh, they would play the request. Um, the radio that this gunman had. He had he had one guy left he was sitting in the window with a gun to this guy's head, and uh, so he called up the radio station and he requested fooling yourself, and he committed suicide. Whoa! Yeah, that was not at all what I had in mind when I yeah. wrote that song. That's funny. So, and now you think about it, I try not to think about that one because it was so tragic. Right. And he dedicated it to his dog, which was just, that didn't help either. Yeah. Do you consider it a great song? I always, I've never asked a songwriter that. Like, are you allowed to consider, you know, if I ask, if I asked uh, Paul McCartney if, uh, you know, Let It Be is a great song, is, is, is a songwriter allowed to say, yeah, that's a great song. I wrote a great song. Is that allowed? Are you allowed to say I, that? I think so, because uh, it was. It was my little song that the band arranged and made it into that, made it into a great song. But it had to be a good song to begin with. Uh, but they, that's, that was one of the things that we prided ourselves in. Somebody brings in this little song, bud. you know, it's, it's the genesis of a song. It's all the parts, uh, but it doesn't have an arrangement for the band. And the band, we would always jump into each other's songs and say, try this and try that. And, Within a very short amount of time, we would lift that song up into and make it into a stick song, right. and that, that's what happened to fooling yourself. It was this song that I wrote on an acoustic guitar. 
the band heard these other beautiful parts to it. Is there a such thing as a factually, a factual, all right, so uh, I took my son to a thing called BattleBots a few weeks ago, and it's a, it's robot fighting. It's a TV show, long story. But um, on the intro to the show, they play Mr. Roboto. And the people go crazy. And people love, and I know Mr. Roboto isn't your song, and I, I don't even know if you guys ever play it anymore. Dennis DeYoung wrote the song. Um, and it, you know, came off an album. I don't think you, you, uh, you were dazzled with, but can people still be like, can one person say like, Mr. Roboto, I hate, that's a horrible song. And someone right next to him say, no, Mr. Roboto is an amazing song. Like, is there factualities in songwriting or is it completely and totally opinion? I, I think it's your, how you feel about it, but I think factually, Mr. Roboto is not a terrible song. Mr. Roboto is a, is a brilliant song. And the uh, the album that it was on, uh, it was an okay album, but it suffered from how far the fabric of the band had been stretched, mm-hmm. and and that's the part you know that's the part that made it not so much fun for us and not a great memory for us. And um, but Mr. Roboto has survived the test of time, and it actually brought fans in who were becoming fans in the eighties. Right. And we never actually played the song live. We, we, when we toured for the Kilroy Was Here album, we performed with a track. So we've never actually played that song on stage. Wow, that's amazing. Do people yeah. ever ask for it? Do you ever hear people yelling Mr. Arado? All the time. <laughs> that's awesome. And that, that, that song's time may have arrived. 2018, it's time for Mr. Arado. It's possible. In 1990, you wrote a song, High Enough, with Damn Yankees, and it was um, your biggest hit. Uh, I, I think it was your biggest individual uh, as, song, as far as songwriting hit. It went to number three on, uh, on Billboard. And you wrote it with three, you know, the songwriting credits for you. It's an interesting trio. It's you, Ted Nugent, and, and Jack Blades, who, who, before doing work with you, was, was known for Night Ranger. Is it hard to write a song with other people? If the chem- the chemistry is good, it's a piece of cake. If there's no chemistry, it's pretty much impossible to write a good song. And High Enough was one of those songs that was just waiting to be born. Uh, the best songs are the ones that are like that. There's just like uh, this idea comes up. And the next thing is like, well, this is what you do next. And then the next thing, well, this, you do this next. Of course you do that. It's the next logical thing that you do. And then when you're arranging it, this is what you do. Yeah, that's right. And the, the whole thing just sort of, it's like a pop-up book. You just open it up and bam, there it is. Uh, and those are the best songs. And High Enough was like that. It started out, uh, Jack Blades had showed, shown up on my doorstep 
by way of John Kolodner sending him there. And I, I lived on the Upper West Side of Manhattan at that time. He shows up with a suitcase and says, I'm here. And I said, come on in. He said, can I do some laundry? So our laundry room was down in the basement. We were in Brownstone. And um, so our door was open to the hallway, and he was down there. And I could hear him, uh, you know, singing to himself downstairs. And he was going, I don't want to hear about it anymore. And so I'm listening to, like, okay, what comes next? And it, there was a couple of more lines. And so I went inside to the piano, and I and I I went and just started playing. Can you take me high enough to fly me over? And just kind of played that out of the clear blue sky. And I, Jack, come upstairs, man. <laughs> and we put those two together. And uh, the funny thing was, like. Oh God! Did we, are we going to play this for Ted? And Ted uh, was notorious for hating keyboards, and he would literally uh -huh. take them out in his yard and shoot them with his gun. <laughs> and so then this song had a keyboard. And, you know, we did the demo at my house, and it had, you know, keyboards on it. So we made a little tape of it, and eventually it was like, Ted, you got. It. We have to play this for you. And uh, he listened and he said, well, you know, the thing that this is missing, and he had his guitar on, was was some of these, what we called, uh, these big dives that he would take. Woo! The, you know, the mm -hmm. line up, uh, you know, separate, they, that's actually not what we called it. I can't remember what we called it, but it was this big, big, noisy uh, musical thing that he would do on guitar. And it needs a wah-wah, and it needs that Ted Nugent essence on it. And mm -hmm. that was really what kept it from becoming just like a little ballad to being a rock ballad. And that was it. That was it. And then we put the high harmonies on it. And um, then uh, it came time to play it and sing it. And it's like, we made those harmonies really high. And uh, I, I actually had to take vocal lessons to learn how to survive singing that song. You actually took vocal lessons at the time just for that song? Yes, I went. I was actually taking vocal lessons from a, a lady named Adrienne Angel. She was like, why are you trying to sing this high? And so like, I know I can do it. I just can't do it for very long. I can't, you know. Uh, so she taught me the technique of how to do that without, without using so much energy. But we had already recorded the song, so I had done it in the studio. But we were about to go out on the road and do it live every night. So it was like, I need, I need a little more insurance and yeah. insurance to do it. And, and I got that from her. Does doing a song like that every night tear up your voice at all? No, no, not when you do it right. It's just learning how to do it in, without straining so much. How much does each word mean to a song? And what I mean is, all right, so I, I literally have the lyrics to high enough in front of me, right? And, and just as an example, you say, we don't need to talk about it anymore. Yesterday's just a memory. Can we close the door? Now, do you weigh every single word? Just as an example, would you, yesterday's just a memory. Should we close the door? Or maybe we can close the door. Like, do the little things matter? Do you lose sleep over the little elements of a lyric? Or do you just put it down on paper and kind of move on to the next thing? Well, you put it down and you, and you try and sing it. <laughs> and 
if it, if it flows, then there you go. There's a song I, I asked you briefly in DM before we did this. Uh, one of my favorite songs from, from your career. And I think this was the song that turned me on to your, your first album. Yeah. You, know, you do with Jack Blades, the album hallucination. You had a song called don't talk to me anymore. And, uh, you know, the opening lyric is, when I look at what's been going on, I have to laugh to keep from crying. When I think of how it used to be and how so much has changed, uh, I never thought to look down that road, to see the distance in your eyes, and now to think of all that might have been, I don't know who to blame. And it's a great song. I mean, it's really a great song, and it's a great piece of writing. And I have no idea what it's about. But when I mentioned it to you, you kind of suggested that there was some emotional weight to this song. So I am actually curious where it come from and where it comes from and how you went about it. Well, it was a breakup song and, uh, I was going through divorce and, uh, you know, there's, I don't know if there's any such thing as an amicable divorce and, uh, and there's, there's nothing you can do about it. You just have to go through it. Uh, but being a songwriter, I can put it into words in a song and, it was just a way to kind of let off some steam. Is it is it hard to sing a song like that? Um, maybe years later, or a decade later, or even a year later, when you're going through an emotional thing at the time, and then it reminds you of that emotional thing, or do you lose that after a while? I, well, I think it, it something that personal. It it'll, it can kind of put you back there, but but if if you have moved on. Then you just look at it as it's just like a a little you know moment in time frozen in a song, and uh, it's not a song that uh, ever played live. I'm I don't, I'm not sure if I ever played it live. You're probably the, you're probably the same way. I love when you discover a song by an artist. You know, I, like I'm a uh, I'm a big Hall and Oates fan, just as an example, and um, I've seen them in concert a bunch of times. And whenever they play Man Eater or Private Eyes, I'm sort of bored. Because I love the songs that I don't know, or the songs that most people don't know. Are you the same way, actually, with with groups and with artists you like? Um, I just if I like a song, I like it, and so it doesn't matter whether it was was a hit or uh, got any airplay or that sort of thing. So there's a lot, you know, lots of albums. Uh, you know, Queen would have would always have an odd like I'm in love with my car. I love that song. It wasn't a big, a big hit single, but I I just loved it. Right, right. I might have asked you this when you did a Q&A for my website, but I'm always fascinated by it. So you sing Fooling Yourself. You've probably sang the song Fooling Yourself 20,000 times before an audience in your life. I'm just taking a guess. But, you know, some outlandishly high number of times you've sang that song. Can an artist still draw emotion, feeling, excitement, you know, you're playing Fooling Yourself tonight in Cleveland. You're playing it tomorrow night in Toledo. Then you're playing it in Detroit. And then you're playing it in Dearborn. Can it still carry resonance for you? Well, first of all, you have to rise up to the song to perform it. You've got to, you've got to hit the notes. 
Right. And, and you gotta, you gotta do everything else properly. Uh, but I look out there at the faces and I see that this song means something to a whole bunch of them. So right. I feel like I, I owe it to them to honor how they feel about it. For one thing, I, I'm so honored that they know this song. I, I wrote this song and all those people know it. And that is, uh, that never ceases to just blow me away. What is it like when you see people singing the song you wrote? It's, it's indescribable. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I think I can't really let it sink in because it's too heavy. You know, you write these songs in a room by yourself most of the time. And, and then you're, like we were talking about earlier, you're nervous to play it for anybody because they might look at it funny and you'll go, yeah, that's right. What, what was I thinking? It was stupid. <laughs> and, and, but you follow through with it and, it's just, it just blows my mind to think that, that many people have not only heard it, but they, they came here to hear it tonight. You know, they, they expected to hear this tonight. Right. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome. I once saw a guy reading my book on the subway. That's the best. That's, wow. that, that's the best comparison I can make. It doesn't even come close though. It doesn't even come close. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Not in the same ballpark. You know, I had a discussion once with Stephen Bishop, who wrote a lot of songs sort of in the, in the seventies, did the theme to Tootsie, you know, kind of a well-known songwriter. And I asked him if he'd like, if he could write, I said, could you write for a Justin Bieber or a Selena Gomez? You know, could you write songs now that would be effective? And he's like, he said, I would love to, I would love the chance to write for Justin Bieber. And I, Ian's not going to have an obvious, but, but I was wondering, like, as you age as a songwriter, you know, and you age as an artist, uh, and you see younger singers, songwriters, hip hop artists, et cetera, come along. Do you sort of have to allow for your age to any degree? And what I mean is, do you, you know, do you have to accept, is there a point in your career where you say, pop 40 radio? I don't care about pop 40 radio, top 40 radio anymore. I am, this is my audience and this is what I care for. Like, do you write for the same people? Are you writing for different people? Does aging change you as a songwriter? Well, you, you know, you, you have lived longer and you have had more experiences to draw from. And there's certain kinds of music that it's like going to the prom. You can't go back and go to the prom now. You know, you had to go then. If you didn't yeah. go then. Well, but you missed it. You can't go back. <laughs> and, uh, so you, I don't think you'd be taken seriously as, uh, uh, you know, someone in their sixties writing songs about teenage love, but that doesn't mean that there aren't people out there doing it. You know, when you think about the Brill Building writers uh, and Jerry Goffin write, writing the words to uh, you make me feel like a natural woman, mm -hmm. you know, and the, I hear those lyrics and it's like, dang it, girl, you know, I believe that you're, those are your words. Right. So, it, um, but I, I, I don't think you, you see too many older songwriters write for one thing there's so many great young songwriters to write uh music for justin bieber do you feel like you are a better songwriter now in your 60s than you were in your i don't know 20s does does experience give you something that maybe you lacked in the past or is it the opposite um i don't know i, I might have been more fearless when i was younger uh but it's hard to say 
you know, I still had to, still had to write the songs. You still had to arrange them and do all the things and, 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 and get it into the, cause I'm always been in a band for the most part, you know, to mm-hmm. get the song, introduce it to the band and the band. It, there's this whole process that goes into it. Um, the song, the, the genesis of the song, a lot of times just you kind of forget about it. Uh, how that was just you sitting in a room and this thing came to you and then you just, sort of followed it down the, the path and that's how they start Th- that still happens it's never all that impressive it's it's usually kind of rough so it's in, in many ways it's still the same it's, I, it's just my experience my life experiences are are different right because I've, I've had so much more life to experience right it's interesting because i think for a lot of you i know journalism wise there's something about being 22 and hungry that inspires something that you don't have at 46 or 56 or 66 and comfortable. Same in music, would you say? Yes, I totally think so. Yeah, you're hungry and you're you're wondering if it's ever going to happen for you know you have all these questions and all these fears and doubts you know and then and then at a certain point you've you've, you've seen what's going to happen and how you then it's how do you respond to it. You know, people get older. I used to think that when you got older, you had all the answers. And that's totally not true. Yeah. It's actually a myth. Remember how you used to think your parents knew? Remember how you used to think your parents knew the answers to things? And then you become a parent and you realize they had no more of an idea than than you did? No, you're just holding on (laughs) your life. (laughs) So true. It's really true. Um, Let me ask you the last thing. You... um, you sent me a song. I asked you about songs that you really sort of cared about and liked. And you sent me a song, and I actually did not know it. I listened to it for the first time today and very much liked it, uh, called Jess B. Which only appeared on a Styx live album uh, with the Contemporary Youth Orchestra, the, the first words is did you make your bed did you lose your head are you still awake from the things you said you close your eyes but the sleep won't come because you can't escape what's said and done did you draw the line in the sand again did you make a stand out on a limb don't be so hard on yourself because you can't change the world you can't change the world alone just be it's a freaking badass song like a really good and it's i just the the pace and the it's where'd this come from i do not know uh it just it was a song i just started <laughs> Those guitar chords, and so I started laying it out, and as I as I came up with it, and and I made a little demo, and I just kept following it down that path, uh, and it was one, and it was another one of those songs where everything that I tried was the next right thing to do, and um, I wish they were all like that. Timing was everything with that song. There was just no place. Uh, there's still never been a, a studio recording of that song uh, that's been released. It's such a good song. It it's a yeah. It's a great song. It's a great song. It's one of my favorite songs. It's my 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 wife has just she has a tattoo that just it says just be. Oh, that's very good. If someone did a uh, a 40 year retrospective of Tommy Shaw's trash cans and delete fo- you know trash folders on on his uh, computer. Would we find the remnants of songs that never became? They wouldn't be in the trash. They would be in folders, though. I've got, I've got 
bunches of songs that uh, most of them I usually complete, you know, just so I, so I can say it's a song. Uh, and a lot of them, I still, I, I, if I make, uh, if or when I do another solo album, I'll have a lot of those to choose from to put back up and, and, and flesh out a little bit more. I've got, I've got a, a, a few of them that I really love. There was one that, uh, I, I started to, did I tell you about this song about gypsies? Hmm. It's my best friend Chip uh, lives in Indiana. Uh, he he told me about this story about because he loves to take these drives up into the country and do that, and just getting lost and finding his way back. And he came upon these gypsies one day. They were they were just finishing up uh, doing some carpentry work or something like that. And he drove yeah. by and this this young woman, long dark hair and blue eyes, uh, who made eye contact with him. And so he stopped the car and talked to her, and uh, he was just, you know, he was, he was mesmerized. And she said, "Why don't you come with us? We're going to go do another job." And he was like, "Maybe I will." Yeah. <laughs> Jeff, okay. You can't run off with the gypsies. And uh, so <laughs> I kept waiting to hear back from him and go, "Well, I did it. I'm, I'm out working with the gypsies." But I wrote this song about it. And I, I absolutely love it, but it's like, it sounds, it's like, it's, I can't decide what it's like, like a, almost like a Greek kind of a song with mandolins and, and, you know, strumming guitars like that with a solo, a mandolin mm -hmm. solo, like a Zephyr, uh, solo. And I don't know what I'm ever going to do with it, but it's, it's so good. So that must be frustrating in a way when you have a song that you know is good, you know, you love. You're sort of like, what the hell do I do with this thing? Well, I, I'm, I keep telling my wife, I'm going to put that on my next solo album. She's like, ah, and, and I think it would work if it was like an Americana album. Uh, and if it didn't, it's like, you know, those, I never have ex expectations of those things selling millions of copies because they're just, they're, it's very, a, a kind of a niche market for that stuff. It, I will probably put that on an album. Do you feel like I guess you? I'll make this my final final. Do you feel like um, the music scene in 2018? You live in Nashville, obviously. You live in one of the hotbeds of it. Do you feel good about you know, like journalism? As a journalist, I feel pretty crappy about the way journalism is going these days. Um, the outlets, the confusion, the death of print. As a musician, how do you feel about music 2018? I think it's alive and well. It's it's. Uh... It's always developing and, and it's following society and society follows it. It's, it's constantly changing, just like life. And, and you get no, new young artists who are super talented and, and they're finding their way in it. And, uh, it, it just continues. The music business changed a lot, but people writing songs and playing instruments and wanting to go be in front of an audience. I think that's bigger than ever. Well, Tommy, you have, uh, you survived. We've uh, this is, this is as full circle as it gets for me. I interviewed you for the first time as a young idiot reporter who didn't even know if a bass player was a guitarist. And now <laughs> <laughs> two decades later, you're on the podcast. So I appreciate you doing this very much. I love that we wound up, you know, following through on a lot of that. 
Yeah, that's really cool. I want to thank today's guest, Tommy Shaw, for joining me on Two Riders Slinging Yang. You can visit him at TommyShaw.net and follow the band on Twitter at StixTheBand, where you can learn about their upcoming summer tour. This podcast is sponsored by 503 Sports, kings of the throwback sports merchandise. Visit the website at 503-sports.com. One can listen to Two Riders Slinging Yang on iTunes and Google Play, and reviews are always appreciated. Music by MC White Owl. Thanks again for joining me, and remember... Keep writing.
I want to thank today's guest, Steve Russian, for joining me on Two Writers Slinging Yang. You can follow Steve on Twitter at Steve Russian and visit him at steverushin.com. This podcast is sponsored by 503 Sports, kings of the throwback sports merchandise. Visit the website at 503-sports.com. One can listen to Two Writers Slinging Yang on iTunes and Google Play, and reviews are always appreciated. Music is from the great MC White Owl. Thanks again for joining me, and remember, keep writing.